Section two of the Convivio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Convivio by Dante Alighieri. Translated by Philip H. Wicksteed. Chapter five now that this bread has been cleansed of the accidental blemishes it remains to apologize for a substantial one to wit that it is vernacular and not latin which by similitude may be called oaten instead of wheaten and in brief the apology consists in three considerations which moved me to choose this rather than the other the first springs forth from the desire to avoid undue inversion of order the second from zealous liberality the third from natural love of one's own speech and these reasons and the grounds on which they rest that i may satisfy the objections that might be urged on the aforesaid ground i purpose duly to discuss in fashion as follows that which most adorns and commends the doings of man and which most directly leads them to a prosperous end is the habit of those dispositions which are ordained to the end in view as for instance courage of mind and strength of body are ordained to the end of chivalry and so he who is appointed to the service of another should have those dispositions which are ordained to that end to it subjection knowledge and obedience without which a man is not duly disposed for service for if he be not subject in all his conditions he ever goeth irksomely and heavily in his service and seldom continueth therein and if he be not obedient he serveth not save at his own discretion and will which is rather the service of a friend than of a servant wherefore to avoid this inversion of order it behoves this command which is made to be servant of the oaths hereinafter written to be subject to them in its whole ordainment and it should have acquaintance with the affairs of its lord and should be obedient to him all which dispositions would be lacking to it were it latin and not vernacular seeing that the odes are vernacular for firstly if it were latin it would not be subject but sovereign both by reason of nobility and of virtue and of beauty of nobility because latin is stable and uncorruptible and the vernacular is unstable and corruptible wherefore we see in the ancient writings of the latin comedies and tragedies which cannot be changed that same speech that we have to-day and this is not the case with the vernacular which takes fashion at our will and changes whence we see in the cities of italy if we choose to look closely that within fifty years from now many words have been quenched and born and changed and if a short time makes so much change far more change does greater time effect so that i assert that if they who parted from this life a thousand years agone were to return to their cities they would believe them to be inhabited by a strange folk because of the tongue discordant from their own of this i shall discourse more at large elsewhere in a book which i intend to make god granting concerning vernacular discourse further latin were sovereign rather than subject by reason of its virtue everything hath virtue of nature which accomplishes that for which it was ordained and the better it doth it the more virtue it hath 
whence we call the man virtuous who lives in the life of contemplation or action to which he is naturally ordained we speak of the equine virtue of pacing swift and far where to the horse is ordained we speak of the virtue of a sword which smartly cuts things hard where to it is ordained thus speech which is ordained to manifest human conceptions hath virtue when it doth this thing and that speech hath the most virtue which doth it most wherefore since latin revealeth many things conceived in the mind which the vernacular may not reveal as they know who have the habit of the one speech and the other its virtue is more than that of the vernacular again it were sovereign rather than subject by reason of its beauty men call that thing beautiful the parts whereof duly correspond because from their harmony pleasure results wherefore we think a man beautiful when his members duly correspond to each other and we call singing beautiful when the voices correspond mutually according to the requirements of the art therefore that speech is the more beautiful wherein the words correspond more duly and they correspond more duly in latin than in the vernacular because the vernacular followeth use and the latin art wherefore it is admitted to be of more beauty of more virtue and of more nobility and hereby the chief contention of this discourse is established to wit that a latin comment would not have been the subject of the odes but their sovereign chapter six having shown how the present comment would not have been subject to the odes had it been in latin it remains to show that it would not have been familiar with them nor obedient to them and then the conclusion will follow that to avoid undue inversion of order it was needful to speak in the vernacular i say that latin would not have been familiar with its vernacular master for this reason the servant's familiarity with his master is chiefly needed in order to give him perfect understanding of two things the first is the nature of his master for there be masters of such asinine nature that they order the contrary of what they desire and others who desire to be served and understood without giving orders at all and others who will not have the servant go about to do any needful thing except they commanded and why there be such varieties amongst men i do not purpose at present to expound for it would make the discretion too multiplex save so far as to say generically that such are little other than beasts who have small good of their reason wherefore if the servant does not understand his master's nature it is manifest that he cannot perfectly serve him the second thing is that the servant must needs be acquainted with his master's friends for otherwise he would neither honour nor serve them and so would not perfectly serve his own master for friends are as it were parts of a single whole that whole being unity in willing and in not willing now the latin comment would not have had knowledge of these things whereas the vernacular itself has that latin hath no familiarity with the vernacular and its friends is thus proved to know a thing generically is not to know it perfectly just as he who perceives an animal afar off has no perfect understanding of it not knowing whether it be dog or wolf or goat latin has cognizance of vernacular speech generically but not in its distinctions 
for if it recognized its distinctions it would recognize all the vernaculars since there is no reason why it should recognize one more than another and therefore if any man had acquired complete command of latin he would enjoy discriminating familiarity with vernacular speech but this is not so for he who has perfect command of latin if he be of italy does not recognize the vernacular of the german nor if a german the italian or the provencal whence it is manifest that latin is not familiar with vernacular speech again it is not familiar with its friends because it is impossible to know the friends having no knowledge of the principle wherefore if latin is not acquainted with the vernacular and it has been shown above that it is not it is impossible for it to be acquainted with its friends again without intercourse and familiarity it is impossible to be acquainted with men and latin hath not intercourse with so many in any tongue as the vernacular of that tongue hath to which they all are friends and consequently it cannot know the friends of the vernacular and this is not contradicted by what might be urged namely that latin does converse with certain of the friends of the vernacular for it is not therefore familiar with them all and so it is not completely acquainted with the said friends and it is complete and not defective knowledge that is needed chapter seven having shown that the latin comment would not have served with understanding i will tell how it would not have been obedient he is obedient who possesses that excellent disposition which is called obedience true obedience must needs have three things without which it may not be it must be sweet not bitter and completely under command not self-moved and measured not out of measure the which three things it were impossible for the latin common to have and therefore it were impossible for it to be obedient that it would have been impossible for the latin to be obedient is manifested by the argument that follows whatsoever proceeds in inverted order is irksome and therefore bitter and not sweet like sleeping by day and watching by night or going backwards and not forwards for the subject to command the sovereign is proceeding in inverted order for the right order is for the sovereign to command the subject wherefore it is bitter and not sweet and since it is impossible sweetly to obey a bitter command it is impossible when the subject commands for the obedience of the sovereign to be sweet wherefore if the latin the sovereign of the vernacular as has been shown above by many arguments and the odes which take the place of commanders are vernacular it is impossible that their relation should be sweet further obedience is wholly commanded and in no part self-moved when he who does a thing in obedience would not unless commanded have done it of his own motion either in whole or in part wherefore if i were ordered to bear two cloaks on my back and should have borne one without orders i say that my obedience is not wholly under command but is in part self-moved and such would have been the obedience of the latin command and consequently it would not have been in obedience wholly under command that it would have been such appears hereby that latin without the command of this master would have expounded many parts of his meaning and actually expounds it if any one closely inspect writings that are written in latin which the vernacular does not in any degree again 
obedience is measured and not out of measure when it goes to the edge of the command and not beyond it just as particular nature is obedient to universal nature when it gives a man thirty-two teeth neither more nor less and when it gives five fingers to the hand neither more nor less and man is obedient to justice when he does what she commands to the evil-doer now this the latin would not have done but would have sinned not only in defect and not only in excess but in both and thus its obedience would not have been measured but out of measure and consequently it would not have been obedient that latin would not have filled out its master's command and that it would also have exceeded it may easily be shown this master to wit these odes to which this command is ordained as servant command and will that they be expounded to all such to whom their meaning can so come that when they speak they shall be understood and no one doubts that if they could utter their commands in words this is what they would order now latin would only have expounded them to the lettered for others would not have understood it wherefore inasmuch as there are far more unlettered than lettered who desire to understand them it follows that latin would not have fully accomplished their order as does the vernacular which is understood alike by the lettered and the unlettered moreover latin would have expounded them to folk of another tongue such as germans and english and others and here it would have exceeded their command for speaking at large i declare that it would have been against their will that their meaning should be expounded where they themselves could not carry it together with their beauty and therefore let every one know that nothing which hath the harmony of musical connection can be transferred from its own tongue into another without shattering all its sweetness and harmony and this is the reason why homer is not translated from greek into latin as are the other writings that we have of theirs and this is the reason why the verses of the psalter are without the sweetness of music and harmony for they were translated from hebrew into greek and from greek into latin and in the first translation all their sweetness perished and thus is the conclusion reached which was promised at the beginning of the chapter immediately before this chapter eight now that it has been shown by sufficient reasons how to avoid undue inversion of order the aforesaid odes must needs have a vernacular and not a latin comment to reveal and expound them i purpose to show how zealous liberality likewise made me choose the one and drop the other zealous liberality then is marked by three things which cleave to this vernacular and would not have cleft to the latin the first is giving to many the second is giving things useful the third is giving the gift without its being asked for to give to and to help one is good but to give to and to help many is zealous goodness inasmuch as it taketh its likeness from the benefactions of god who is the most universal benefactor and moreover it is impossible to give to many without giving to one inasmuch as one is included in many but it is entirely possible to give to one without giving to many wherefore he who helps many doth the one good deed and the other he who helps one doth the one good deed only whence we see the makers of the laws keeping their eyes chiefly fixed on the general good in making them again 
to give things that are of no use to him who receives them is indeed good in so far as he who gives shows at least his friendship but it is not perfectly good and so is not zealous giving as if a knight should give a shield to a doctor and the doctor should give a copy of the aphorisms of hippocrates or the art of galen to the knight wherefore the wise say that the face of the gift ought to resemble that of the receiver that is to say should be suitable to him and should be useful and herein is the liberality deemed zealous of the man who is thus discerning in his gifts but inasmuch as moral counsellings are wont to create a desire to investigate their origin in this chapter i purpose to briefly expound four reasons why a gift must needs be useful to him who receives it in order that there may be zealous liberality therein firstly because virtue should be cheerful and not gloomy in its every act wherefore if the gift be not cheerful in the giving and in the receiving there is not perfect nor zealous virtue in it this cheerfulness naught else can secure save utility which abides in the giver by the giving and which comes to the receiver by the receiving the giver then must show foresight in so doing that on his side remains the utility of the comeliness which is above all utility and in so doing that to the receiver shall go over the utility of the use of the thing given and thus the one and the other will be cheerful and consequently there will be more zealous liberality secondly because virtue should always move things for the better thus as it would be blameworthy action to make a spade out of a beautiful sword or to make a beautiful goblet out of a beautiful lyre so it is blameworthy to move a thing from a place where it is useful and bear it to a place where it will be less useful and because futile action is blameworthy it is blameworthy not only to put a thing where it will be less useful but also to put it where it will be equally useful wherefore in order that the changing of things may be praiseworthy it must ever be for the better because it should aim at being praiseworthy in the highest degree and the gift cannot effect this except it become more dear by the change nor can it become more dear except it become more useful for the receiver to use than the giver whence the conclusion follows that the gift must be useful to him who receives it in order that there may be zealous liberality in the giving thirdly because the operation of virtue ought in itself to acquire friends since our life has need of such and the end of virtue is that our life should be satisfied wherefore in order that the gift may make the receiver friendly it should be useful to him because utility stamps the memory with the image of the gift which same is the food of friendship and it stamps the more strongly in measure as the utility is greater wherefore martin is wont to say i shall not forget the present which john made me so that in order for its proper virtue to reside in the gift to wit liberality and for it to be zealous the gift must be useful to him who receives it finally because virtue should be free and not constrained in its actions action is free when a person goes spontaneously in any direction and it is shown by his turning his face that way action is constrained when a man goes against his will and it is shown in his not looking in the direction in which he is going now the gift looks that way when it is directed to the need of him who receives it 
and since it cannot be directed thereto unless it is useful in order that the virtue may be free in its action the gift must have free course in the direction in which it travels together with the receiver and consequently the utility of the receiver must be comprised in the gift in order that there may be zealous liberality in it the third thing wherein zealous liberality may be noted is giving without being asked because when a thing is asked for then the transaction is on one side not a matter of virtue but of commerce inasmuch as he who receives buys though he who gives sells not wherefore seneca saith that nothing is bought more dear than that on which prayers are spent wherefore in order that there may be zealous liberality in the gift and that it may be noted therein it behoves that it be clear of every feature of merchandise and so the gift must be unasked why the thing begged for costs so dear i do not propose to discourse of here because it will be sufficiently discoursed of in the last treatise of this book End of section two